Welcome to the Learning with Lowell podcast, where we look at science and innovation and technology, either from the startup side, the CEOs, that type of thing, or from the scientists themselves, such as George Church. Today, we are joined with Eugene Nadirshin, Nadirshin, co-founder and CEO of Plexus. Previous to this, before we jump into what Plexus is about, which is what we're really going to get into this interview, is he was a CTO and co-founder of two other startups. He knows you know, technology and engineering and product design. And, and in this episode, we'll get into Plexus, his reasoning behind certain design choices, you know, issues he's having, opportunities for people to jump in. So if you're looking to learn about a person who went through Y Combinator, helps out founders, is developing something really spectacular, and get a really great sense of who he is, what he's building, why he built it, then this is the episode for you. And if you, if you like this, you know, let me know. And if you thought, hey, this guy's awesome. Send him an email because it's like the his LinkedIn and stuff will be in the show notes. And I'm sure he'd love to, you know, get feedback on anything or at the very least connect with other people who love VR type technology. First question I was curious about is this uh, idea of balance, like too much and too little, where the, the human mind is pretty lazy that like not lazy, but it's very energy efficient since it already takes up like a third of our energy supply. But like for most people, like if they, to think about this, like try moving one finger, like if you try and move one finger, like you'll end up moving other fingers because your, your mind sends multiple, just sends one impulse and it says move the branch because it normally doesn't move one. And so with yours, it seems that you've kind of like maximized a similar thing, but I'm curious, how did you develop the, like the perfect like size, if that makes sense, maybe like a, a clunky question, but uh, it means size or the degrees of freedom. The well, because there was the basically you could go the glove route, and then you have yours, which is like the perfect amount of stimulation oh, to sense immersion. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, actually, that's not where we started. We started with a quite a beefy exoskeleton. Uh, originally, it came out of my co-founder's um, university thesis that I helped him with. Uh, so he was essentially looking at whether you can transfer muscle memory uh, between people. So he uh, literally had um, a piano teacher's hands tied to his, then seeing if he can transfer that. And then he made a glove. So he made the mechanics for a glove that allowed to articulate the hand to a very high degree. And then uh, it's like, like, he's a friend of mine. So he's like, hey, Eugene, could you help me out with the electronics and the software that goes with it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. This is like, this is a fun hack space project type for me. So it was um, uh, a good one for me. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And it was interesting, like we, uh, it found out the user experience aspect of putting an exoskeleton is quite daunting. And, uh, and then like found out, okay, then we need to make it more adjustable because one thing you find out very quickly is that every hand is different mm-hmm. and there's a lot of variation. So you have to make, whatever you do like as a glove has to be quite um, articulated uh, to the point where you can uh, change the lengths of each joint. And it was like, it was proven to be a massive challenge uh, we, we had a patent just just for that aspect. It's just the, the, the fact that you have uh, so much variability. And then we decided, well, look, let's, we have this problem, like this is going to take forever to develop to, uh, to a product we can eventually give to a customer. So why don't we just um, like have something like silicone, which obviously stretches so it it's, it's, uh, can adjust to the, to the, the hand. Mm-hmm. And, and then we decided, okay, if we have a silicon glove, you can't use it for more than a few minutes because obviously it'll sweat up. Uh, mm-hmm. So, well, actually we don't need the whole glove. Let's just have like the top of the finger track because that's what all we need for tracking. And so that's how we ended up. So my uh, co-founder, Charles, he's um, um, spent a lot of time actually finding out like a good design that's uh, both um, uh, uh, functional that you can have feedback at the fingertips because that's really important having some sort of feedback but also being able to uh, like use it for like we, we're aiming to, for you to be able to use this for like two hours and still be fine and uh, I've, I wore it for one whole day and you know it was fine it was um, towards the back of the hand was uh, uh, there was a bit of perspiration but other than that it was actually really good and that's it was a, it was a long process it took us two and a half years to get there mm-hmm can you do that? The, going back to the first part, if you do put someone's hand over your hand, can you induce muscle memory like that? Or does the, do you have to actively be engaged in moving the hand muscles? Was uh, that found out? It's, yeah, it's basically if you have uh, the feedback. So uh, if you're playing piano and you have like uh, the notes in front of you and you're moving the hand continuously, it does, it, you do memorize 
the movements pretty well. Uh, now, there's the uh, difficulty of uh, just how the setup was. You had to essentially have a gantry that moves your hands for you. And then in addition to, uh, so you're moving your hands as well as your fingers. So we can do the finger movements, but you also have to have like an exoskeleton to be able to do them. But it's, there's, like, there's a lot of research that has been done in that space, and there's a lot more that can be done. And hopefully with our technology, like, they can actually start looking uh, in more into uh, these sort of applications. I know training was one of the things that you were interested in applications. So conceptually, like, would you go in there and there'd be like, like, I, I'm at, there's like this really bad Superman game in the 90s where like you like fly through hoops, but like not like hoops, but you'd like see other people's hands and you like uh, mimic them to like to get the same type of tactile feeling. Is that how it would work in an application or like how would it like training with this type of technology, like how would it actually work if, as a simple question? The main thing is like, it's essentially, it's VR, right? So mm -hmm. it's trying to mimic what you would do in real life. Yeah. And, and what we have is, uh, we had this experiment with Cambridge where uh, they were basically assembling a system, a clutch system. And like right now with what we have with VR this day, you have to use a controller mm -hmm. and your joystick. So you'd be grabbing something and, and essentially interacting through that. So you'd always have, like it'll be your hand movements, not your finger movements doing the actual interaction. And if, even if you have those uh, finger movements, it'll be indirect. So it'd be like pressing a trigger to, to grab something. Um, and what we've decided to do is like, well, look, we're trying to make it as real as possible. Let's just give them their hands in VR. And so they will be interacting with thin air, but as far as they're concerned with the headset on, they're actually interacting with the physical thing. And plus, together with the vibrotactile feedback uh, on the fingertips, your brain does a lot of the like fitting in between the gaps. Because originally we thought like we have to have force feedback, and our first two prototypes like where like would stop your hand, and and it's like it sounds great, like it sounds really futuristic, but it's one it's very hard to do in terms of the uh, the feedback system. Um, mm -hmm. Would have been really expensive, and we wanted to get something. Hey, look, just have start. Let's start with something, and then start playing with like VR as it was meant to be so to speak uh, where you have um much better much better articulation than vr so would you say like the reason that you've gone you went from the tactile feedback to what you have now is because like the brain does a lot of the work where before maybe the assumption was that you'd have to do more to get the same type of output or what would be a good summary of that of the well, I mean, just, logic just just to uh, clarify that, so we have tactile feedback now. We had force feedback before. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's basically, I'm trying to figure out how to answer your question best, but um, essentially, um, you don't need to have force feedback for most of the applications that you would do in VR. Now, if you're grabbing a gun or some kind of implement for a long time, then yes, okay, it makes sense. But most applications are much more interactive. Like, hey, you, you, like, you're, I think of like a Star Trek type console. Like, you know, you'd be pressing things, and that's the sort of stuff you do. You rarely constantly hold something, except games. I mean, we're not looking at games right now, though. Probably will be in the future. Um, we find that for most applications that you see people use, especially VR training, is it's more the contact, feeling of contact is more important than the feeling of holding something. Mm -hmm. Is there? Because I hear all the time that if someone someone's designed and worked on something there's usually like they they know it so well that they have that they have like weird things not weird but like things that most people wouldn't notice as things that they're proud of so is there is there something like when it when it, when it comes to what you've developed that you're like overly proud of like like some like small aspect that most people would glance over but that you it was very very hard for you to solve or like for whatever reason like it's just like oh I'm, I'm like very satisfied that this worked out and this development of it if that makes sense it's uh, yeah it doesn't make sense um for me it might be a bit petty but i i love seeing people having used plexus for a few minutes when we give out demos and stuff and then and then they sort of come out of it and then they just report like how that their real hand feels we weird and it, it, for me it's the fact that like I mean, keep in mind it's like it's taking us three years to get to this point right uh, we now have the um the articulation and the precision that's good enough that people actually start to think that it's their hand in VR. And of course, like you, you, you wouldn't generally have a, like a like realistic, like hand with skin. You'd usually have like a robotic hand or something just so it's um, 
um, it's it's it looks less like weird because actually trying to mimic every all the movements in the hand and the skin around it is actually quite difficult. Mm-hmm. And but it means that like if people are getting fooled into thinking that hey, this is their hand when they come out of it, like their their real hands are feeling weird. It means that we've quite, we've crossed that threshold where hey, this is believable, and that's essentially what we're trying to do with uh, having the immersive environment that you can interact with just as you would in real world. So you don't have to learn how to interact with things, just interact with it like how you've been learning since you're like, what, five months old. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you excited for the development of it? Or, or is there something, is there something you look forward to doing in VR with what you're developing? Or are, are you going to be, I guess the question is, are you going to be a user? And if so, how would you be excited to use it? Or are you like right now, you're just really ex- excited to like finish the development and, and uh, uh, send out the, uh, the pre-orders i believe is where you're at yeah it's so uh <laughs> short term short answer is like yes absolutely like we've got i mean we did not expect the amount of interest that we got uh, when we launched in june um we uh, sort of put like a post on reddit like hey we've been working this for three years and we just absolutely flooded with requests like hey can we have like a death kit de-? like uh, so we started accepting signups and uh, and then uh, obviously like trying to Okay, now there's a lot of interest in the space. Now um, we have to actually get there. So that's that's my main concern. But like, I've been I've been trying to spend more and more time on actually doing the stuff I've been dreaming about. Mm-hmm. And one of the real like the things that would I absolutely love is to have a computing environment where I don't need my laptop. I don't need um, the screen. That, um I would just be able to have sit down at a table and just have as many screens as I want the keyboard that I want and have it all being in VR. I mean, that for me would be amazing because I could go from working at home, working in my friend's place or working in the office and just have all of my productivity stuff with me. I tend to, I do like 10 things at the same time. Um, and quite often, like I, I find myself like switching between things and I find just, just using a 2d screen um, in front of me, like a laptop pretty limiting. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It's, uh, that's, that's the, my personal favorite. Um, I'm curious if I asked my co-founders like what their personal favorite is. I know, I know Charles would probably be something to do with games. Uh, he's a big gamer. So, um, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of, like, I'm, I'm excited to see what developers like make. Cause we are, yes, like some of us, like a few of us are developers, um, the rest are more hands-on people, but, uh, it's the developers that have been working on this kind of stuff that are going to make the interesting things we're supplying the the layer for them to be able to build on top of basically mm-hmm. so yours is more like the utility of being able to like be anywhere i imagine it would be pretty cool to like have the environment look like you're by a beach and then have like all your screens so you're like still getting like the environment feedback that uh, there's like a lot of research where just having like trees and like nature-ish sounding stuff like is really good to maximize output so you can get like the, the maximization of feeling like you're in that environment and have all those screens, which I like multiple screens, but it's more just for the enjoyment of knowing I can like parse things down and be able to like look at something. Like I have multiple screens out right now. Cause like, if you have to like have one tap, like what if you're like looking and you're cross referencing, but like how, I guess maybe like a silly question, but how many screens is too many screens in your mind? Like how would you, like what would be like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if you ask me specifically, like I would, I mean, in terms of tabs, I have six tabs that are pinned. So that's usually my personal email, my work email, my personal calendar, my work, my work calendar, um, like uh, my some of the social media stuff, um, my uh, sign up uh, screen, my um, I think I also have uh, the email answering thing as well. Uh, so it's it's like um, the thing is like what I probably I can see myself doing is like hey this is what I have for my work stuff. And now like, Hey, I'm going to go chill out, do some research, do some reading. Here's my like laid back mode where I can just have like, like my news, like the, the usual, uh, like hacker news that I go to, um, like, like Google news and then uh, foreign news and all that stuff. Just, just, just my time off. And, Oh, maybe like even like looking at like what's the latest in humble bundle, that kind of stuff. So I could switch between, you probably actually uh, to your point about like being immersed in environments have an environment where hey you go from being out in the beach to suddenly being like in a sci-fi spaceship or something where it's it's it sets your your brain in the right sort of mood for that activity that you're doing 
Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, especially if you're like learning or researching something because you have that state-dependent learning for anyone out there. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but there's a, like you, you learn based on the states of your environment. Like if you're in underwater, you'll remember things better if you're underwater. So if you like condition yourself to something, it's like the Star Trek bridge or something, the, that would be pretty cool. I like the, the VR stuff right now where you can like be on like the Star Trek bridge and then you like go around and like attack people. The, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's pretty neat. I'm, I'm, Wait, is that, is that the bridge crew, Star Trek bridge crew? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. So th- that's something I really want to um, uh, to implement the uh, the plexus gloves with because I, I mean I'm a bit of a track even, uh, but I like the the interface that they use is perfect for us because mm-hmm. it's a plain interface and you want to get the feedback and the controllers. I mean they do the job, but you notice like it's awkward using your finger but moving your hand because mm. uh, that's essentially what, uh, what the controllers allow you to do is like you stick the finger out and then you can sort of poke it but you're actually moving the whole hand uh, which uh, breaks that immersive um, um, aspect of it yeah one of the things that I noted on the reddit forum that the, that you post I read through everything um, <laughs> is, is that uh, wow, it was really great uh, you answer things very well but uh, you and the team if it, if it was more than just you but it seemed that you had like some pretty significant pricing and elasticity. Like people were like questioning why it was so cheap. And then they felt like you were probably leaving things out. And then you were coming in and saying, no, we're adding that. No, we're developing that. So um, like, it seems like, like pricing is one of those things that people are really bad at, but it seems like you've you, like, I, I think the real answer is like you, you, you've basically been developing this for three years. So a lot of the things are much more mature than some of these early stage ones that most people are familiar with. But it seems like, like when it comes to having the right type of feedback, you got that like perfectly down. The price, like people are, if anything, you probably could raise the price and they wouldn't be too mad at you, um, or maybe they would. And you've seen the the, the feedback on that. But I, I I feel like for a shot in the dark, put it on Reddit. You've gotten some like intense feedback, and so like what made you feel? And this, you know, like a business question, but understanding like how to price something is always interesting. So how did you know like two, like 250 was going to be the one that would like sell like, like hotcakes? It was basically, um, if you look and go back to the user experience, right? People see um, the headset as the main thing in VR because it's like quite a big bulky thing on top of your head, kind of hard to miss. And then, so they see the controls as an accessory. Mm-hmm. So with the headset priced around like $500, um, having half that price for the controller controllers uh, seemed like a good price point. And this came out of just talking to users and, and experimenting. We experimented with a bit like, no, um, saying this, this is the price point or this is the price point and see how people react. And it seems to be like, at least for like early developers, that 250 is, um, is, is, is a good price point. Now, in terms of, uh, like I was speaking to somebody today who wasn't in, into VR, and he found it like, this is so expensive. Because he is thinking like, you know what, like it's like a joystick, like wow, that's like really, expensive set of joysticks like essentially um so it's it, it depends who you ask i mean for our given that right now our target community is like gloves which are like literally 10 times the price um it's it's part i think it's part of the reason that there hasn't been much development in this space because like it, it's like are you gonna buy five vr headsets um, for the price that you'd buy just those gloves for, right? It's it's uh, it's it just it's not something that most developers would do, and we wanted to get a price point where one where we still have a margin, so we <laughs> we obviously have a business to run, uh, mm-hmm. but also that we actually can get people using haptics and actually get get rid of these controllers. I mean, I, I would love to be at a point where we even get rid of keyboards and mouse because we have essentially for the first time ever we have the ability to track your, what you're doing with your hands to such a high precision that you wouldn't even need a keyboard and or a mouse i mean if you think look at a keyboard right this mm-hmm. thing is over 50 years old it's it was designed to slow you down because if you uh, type too fast the um typewriters which is when the qwerty keyboard was designed uh, the hammers on the typewriters would block up hmm. and it's ridiculous that 50 years like half a century on we're still using that as the uh, the technology to infect talk to the computer essentially um, obviously 2d touch is like uh, is moved that inside a different direction and people look like different approaches to being able to put that in but like there hasn't been much innovation in space since literally 50 years or 50 years away which is crazy what what the price point are you trying to do like the SpaceX thing where like by bringing down the price you you hope to like 
like bring more people in and on board to the VR space? Or is it, it just was like a nice coincidence? Is that like an underlining goal as well? That would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is actually like the target customer for now in the beginning, uh, the enterprise doesn't actually, is not that price sensitive. Um, however, the way you reach that customer is by having developers actually work with things and, and, and play around with different approaches. UI, I mean, we still, I mean, UI, I mean, VR is still a nascent technology, right? A lot of people are like, okay, maybe like this, this actually Thanksgiving, uh, PSVR was lo- everywhere for some reason, uh, I guess, cause it went below that, um, uh, $200 price point, but, um, it was, um, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, we'd like to have people using it, even though right now it's mostly enterprise who we're aiming for. I mean, not limiting it to enterprise like Joseph, um, on our wait, wait list, but, uh, it's, it's easy. Like there's, there's a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of like training, uh, location-based experiences. They're like, we've been dying for this product for last three years. And this is part of the reason why the, uh, the Reddit um, uh, launch was so successful is that there was just so much interest. It's rare that you have, hey, we have the product you've been asking for for the past three years. Um, do you want to get it or not? And, <laughs> and quite, well, quite quickly we saw that, yeah, that people definitely wanted them. We got the right price point. Mm-hmm. I think originally you wanted to do... Uh, I, my sticky note is missing, but the, be more like in the health healthcare, like health tech, and that you moved over to consumer more. What 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 was the reason behind that? I, I would imagine that as long as you get them like insured, that it would it wouldn't be too bad on the price price aspect. Um, but it's basically um, so the price wasn't an issue then with uh, a medtech device. Um, the problem with medtech is obviously all the FDA approvals, um, especially if you want to use it for the therapy and therapy. Um, a rehabilitation um it's it's not something we have a knowledge of in the team mm-hmm. and also speaking to medtech investors um it was i mean they, they were they were interested in it they were interested in what, what uh, we're able to do with the technology and um i talked about a lot of different uh rehabilitation approaches that i have no idea about but um uh essentially the what we it came down to is the fact that this would be like a very long-term thing. Like it could be five years to get to a metric device. And, and you know, we're hackers and we can't wait five long to play with this. Right? <laughs> so we much rather do something. We can always go into, into the med tech stuff. I mean, actually looking at, so I've been speaking to a few, um, uh, big, uh, uh, comp- like organizations around, uh, health, uh, health, well, um, health and, uh, health, uh, health tech, uh, that are looking into um, like using plexus for uh, everything from surgery um, because you have or articulation. You remember they have sterile and waterproof, right? So you could you, you can interact with data because one of the things they told me like like hey we it's hard for us to actually uh, look up data once we are in an operating theater. We have to have a technician just for that if you want to do that. And um, quite often it'd be like how you communicate, but here, like the surgeon can like, like, just do some air gestures, move stuff around, um, and have like an like a 3D uh, visualization of what exactly he's doing with uh, the incision, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's like again, I was saying before, is like it won't like we're making the hardware at this point, and it'd be up to the developers and the um, the like then consumers to figure out like what they actually want to use it for. And we've had like, we've had a lot of requests for all different um, um, at, like things people want to use it for from space robotics uh, uh, to uh, um, like handling, uh, handling like uh, radioactive stuff. Uh, so you can actually like feel like really expensive glassware apparently they use in, in nuclear reactors, which I had no clue about until I've been told about it. So um Sorry, it was a very long winded answer to your question, but no, it's a good answer though. And I liked it. The one one thing this is a bit of a transition, but the one thing I'm curious about is how are you making them? Because you're from you've been all over, but are you making them like are you doing like the traditional like outsourcing to like a China based company or are you doing like a I think even now you can 3D print circuits, which is which is pretty cool. Um, maybe, it's, yeah. It's a very good question. And so we we've um we've taken an agile manufacturing approach to this and like china is great when you want to really um like you have you have a good idea that hey this this demand for this specific version of the product uh you sort all the little um issues out and you really want to go to volume right for us 
we're working things out, like like we're iterating. Like, like yesterday, uh, we realized that, hey, we can change this and, and get like better durability on the sensor. And like we're able to test this like within a day. So almost like a software type agile approach to development. And we, like originally, we we're just going to use it for prototyping and then move to manufacturing uh, like to Shenzhen. And, and then we were like, well, wait, why don't we just make sure that the first, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 units that we ship are, like, we make them in-house and then we can, like, okay, this is definitely something that works well and people really want this. Let's now go and uh, make uh, hundreds and thousands, millions of these. And, but you're right, like, you, you had now had, like, using, like, technologies in 3D printing. We don't 3D print the actual hardware, but uh, using the tooling and three, helping 3D print tooling has been like reduced the amount of development time massively. If you compare like even like five years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did today at the price point. Like even within 10x of the price point that we've basically managed to uh, get to so far, it would be really difficult because you have the old, you have to machine the tooling, you have to uh, get the samples, I test them, realize ah, this doesn't work right. And then hopefully it's, an additive process in the tooling because if not then you have to remill the whole tool again and it, it's a very long process for us to be able to do it at jump in the lab um get the new version out um and test it very quickly so i think that's and like i mean like we're, we're 3d printing rockets i think someone's doing that i think that might be rocket lab or it might be conflating their names with someone else but like there is a yc company that's actually doing that i think i remember reading about them yeah yeah i mean like the i the idea that we can manufacture, like you can manufacture anything with ready, I mean, like, you know, develop things and prototype things in your backyard is just an intense thing. The, like something I'm curious about is like, what, like, what is the one that you would use, I guess would be like the basic thing. Cause I don't, I don't 3d print other than like going, like my library has a 3d printer. And I get to play with theirs, but like, I don't have like an industrial strength one, but before you said 3D printing, I just imagined like an army, army of Oompa Loompas like building stuff in your lab. So like, how do, what does it actually look like, I suppose? Um, so it depends. Like, so different parts of the process have different um, requirements. And so they have different printing technologies. Uh, we were quite lucky because when we started in 2015, uh, the Farm Labs, uh, so it's a resin type printer, they just released a second printer and we were like on the early access program because we are part of the hardware accelerator here in London. And essentially we originally were like when planning to use 3d printing to actually um, do a lot of prototyping and early scale manufacturing. And we found out that, that we can get like with tuning, you can get amazing precision on the, on these printers. And especially if you use them for like molding, um, like the actual product you're making that uh, you could get like really, really good uh, quality. Uh, you're probably thinking about an FDM printer, so uh, filament position something. Uh, so it's the one that actually like, spits out um, like hot um, plastic. Mm-hmm. And, and that has its uses. It's uh, generally stronger uh, and less brittle, but um, it's like you see the layers, like it's relatively rough. And uh, so that's kind of stuff is good for uh, like, jigs um or like things like um like, uh, like for example the hand that we use as a mannequin um to uh test the glove on is actually 3d printed like mm-hmm. on, with that with that filament printer but the uh, glove itself obviously the, the molds for them are produced in sla process and then we have on top of that we have um uh the we have a robotics uh part of the system that uh, essentially lays down the sensors and uh trying to basically make basically using using technology to make the process as as uh, scalable and as simple for us humans as possible mm-hmm. so other than 3d printing is there any other technology you've been using to develop this and, and uh ma- and now in, into the manufacturing the first run of it like, yes any- uh so we're using uh we're using robotics for uh like making the sensor arrays and essentially we just like we have like the PCB that we stick it into what's called a CNC machine. Um, and essentially, it's a Cartesian robot that goes around. And then we have a um, process deposits the, the sensors, and and then we basically take that, put it in the mold, and then um, off we go. And the molding process is something that uh, we are uh, like figuring out. Uh, we've, we've obviously been working on this for, for on this like we started like mold injection like about a 
just over a year ago. And there's a lot of things to figure out just in the process alone. And, and a lot of like when we have comments like, oh, what about competitors? Like, you know what? Good luck to them. <laughs> there's so much tweaking and tuning that you need to figure out to be, to be able to really get this. Mm-hmm. And, but it's like, you know, it's, it's the great thing about what we're doing is like we're able to like learn very quickly and iterate, iterate quickly. So essentially it's like what um, we've been doing with software for like agile, uh, agile like methodolo- methodologies for the past, what, 10 years mm-hmm. that uh, they've been getting popular and now applying it more to hardware. Mm-hmm. But, and I think you have a small team as well. Like there, I believe there's like three. Yes. No, there's six of us. Um, okay. No, okay. So it's uh, four, five full time, and then there's uh, we have a contractor as well helps us with some of the design stuff. Is there anyone? Is there anyone like you're missing in the team to develop and scale that you like the next stage of things? Like anyone that you're looking for, or even on the advisor level? I imagine you'd you'd love someone in the med tech area that could kind of like serve as an advisor role, or like yeah. basically, what are you missing? Is the question? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest. Um, what we're missing. I think one thing I would love to be able to have is having somebody like, I know if you know, Jack McCauley from Oculus. Um, so this guy, he was a head of engineering early on. And this guy basically is the one who made it happen. As, basically got Oculus DK one to be dis- delivered as fast as it was. And somebody like that uh, would be amazing. I am going to try and try and uh, convince Jack to, uh, to see if he can help us out with, uh, he's already helped us out by putting us in touch with the company that uh, made the Oculus uh, DK1, DK2. So it's been uh, it's been uh, really useful from that, that perspective. But it's like, it's one thing being able to make a prototype and do it uh, internally, but taking you to a factory in Shenzhen uh, is a whole different ball game. And uh, we, we are lucky because we actually went through a, like an accelerator uh, in Shenzhen for three months in 2016 now. Um, and that was super useful, just being able to talk to like Flextronics, um, Foxconn, and a lot of like uh, uh, um, other um, CMs, uh, CMs contract manufacturers. But um, I think that would be the biggest thing is like, like have a uh, somebody who's been through this process before of like scaling up um, something that high technology product uh, to uh, to like to a very quick. Um, point where you can start shipping them because like what happened with oculus like you know when they like they blew up right like they had a kickstarter and then um they had to start making it very quickly and they did a really good job and we are, we're in the same boat now we've got more quite a bit of interest more interest than anticipated just from like like that's reddit launch and just some um launch press and we need them in a way it's like oh we want to like share all the stuff you're doing but it's like yeah we we can't exactly take like we can take more orders now but like it, it means people have to wait a longer time to get the dev kit so right now it's just uh, all i can think about lately is just been figuring that thing out it's like how can we scale to the hundred thousand to the million units um unit runs do you do you see do you see your startup becoming like an oculus or do you see like Oculus being like, these guys have something good. I'm going to buy them. <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, uh, but it's, I mean, it's a, it's a common question to an entrepreneur, right? Look, I've been working this from 2015. I only just started paying myself some basic salary. And, and I've basically been living off savings. I've moved in with my mom. Um, and uh, I like, so it's like when somebody comes to you and is like, hey, uh, we want to acquire your company for X, it'd be really hard to say like, oh, uh, yeah, no, we, we're going to go keep growing this uh, like ourselves organically and through investment. But, but like at the same time, like, like just looking at like what's happening with Oculus, like all the fa- almost like, a lot of the founding team has left now. And it's like, I think it's only been like a few years. I'm like, Jesus, like I, I, I want to keep doing this. Like I'm not, this isn't, like I worked in the investment bank before, right? I moved to this because I love this and I would hate to be sort of uh, displaced and not being able to work on this. And um, I mean, I get up in the morning excited to be doing this. So I want to continue doing this. So ideally, I want to push that and, and build out like all the technologies around. Um, for me, it's a digital attraction. It's like how we communicate with the virtual world. And and it doesn't just mean VR or AR. It could be like just like the thing I was talking about, typing, like, you know, why are we typing on these keyboards? It might not be even a very efficient method of, of us uh, interacting with the computer. So it's something that I really want to push. And there's so many, like, 
a lifetime of mine would not be enough to go through all the things I have in my head that I want to do with this. So I, I'm pretty safe. I'm definitely going for uh, like long term and building it up. Mm. Well, maybe you can acquire the Oculus then. <laughs> well, it'll be acquiring Facebook, which is going to be a bit of a, uh, a harder, a harder uh, thing to do. <laughs> yeah, they have. Yeah, they have a lot of money. Maybe like a, a little, you can find like a mini Oculus, like the like a person doing what you're doing and acquire them and then slowly, slowly build up. As long as you don't IPO, I don't think you can get like those hostile takeovers because you um, own everything. Oh, well, if you go to the shareholders and yeah, yeah. Enough of them. If, if there's a company that's, that's, I mean, you rarely get hostile takeovers in the startup space um, because it's usually like you have to talk to all the investors unless the company is doing really bad and and even then, the situations were like, no, no, we're still going to do this. And then they, they, they basically hit the ground. But um, yeah. Well, it reminds that's one of the things that I'm concerned about when it comes to raising and, and like adding other people to the table. Because the, there's an episode on Silicon Valley. People tell me it's realistic. So this is like my documentary. I don't know. I'm just like these, they raise concerns. Well, I, I ask questions. Bill Gates uh, on his blog said like, yeah, you should definitely look at Silicon Valley because it's very similar to how it is in real life. And in some degrees it is, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, there was this one where the like the investors wanted their money back or something, and then they were sold for like they they like everyone was sold to Ehrlich Bachman. And yeah. I don't know. That would concern me that someone has the ability to like randomly liquidate their stuff and then thus like um, causing me to close shop. I don't know if that's a real thing. Maybe I should talk to an investor about this. But could, I mean that can happen. I think I think um my co founder child was like what's like cringed when uh, like he was watching it as like yeah, like how like, the guy has to be so stupid to like let that situation happen, and and sometimes like you know yeah, it's the circumstances that puts you like, like in, the, in the point where you're uh, desperate for cash and you just need to figure a way to survive. I mean, we're in a we're in a strange state because we actually remember we are from UK. We're a London-based company originally, uh, even though we've been obviously investment in the, in the states. Um, we actually very good at doing things. Um, very frugally and like, that's how we ended up surviving for like uh, two and a half years in, in UK and I ended up like looking at like the VR was really hot in, in the States and UK was just like, lagging behind massively and, in terms of investment and it's like look it's not much point for us raising in UK with what we have now so let's just like find like extra cycles to do contract work and i uh, so i literally went on and did like side side work while my my team i'm technical i'm 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 can do electronics i can do firmware i can do programming so um i did and took this uh contract on where it's basically like iot sensors uh for pollution sensing i just literally worked on that and got some money from that and asked my like got like a few days of my um, cpo's time a few days of my cto's time to help out and uh just just so we can like keep ourselves going but mm. it's like i i think there's this thing in silicon valley like hey like you just you just get like a, a good seed raise and you just uh like pay yourself salaries and you get hire this team and test this product so for us it was a different approach it's like let's let's sort the technology out to make what we want happen because we looked at um all the technologies out there and just they weren't good enough for what we're trying to do. And it's partly what's happening with a, a lot of uh, other gloves in the market, or other gloves that are coming to the market, is that they're trying to take off the shelf components. Mm -hmm. And we realized quite early on, like if you want people to believe this is their hand, we can't do that. We have to make sensors that are much, much, much better in terms of um, uh, precision. And at the same time, they have to, like, the price point has to drop massively. And we, we managed to get there. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that methodology. And a lot of the people I've interviewed that have, that are special, like developing things that take time. They've also, they've also like kind of reflected and said that if they took money, like the investors probably would have gotten honorary at some point. Cause they like, it took longer or like there was like, you know, it took weird turns, but, but I like that method of like, you know, keeping it small and like developing things. And like, then when you have like a proof of concept and, and orders, then you can raise money and then you, you know, you don't have to dilute as much, which I feel like that's the trade-off, like economic economy and control. But, but I, I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's definitely value in that. It's also important to understand that um, growth is important, especially in a, in a time like this, like for us, for example, when we started, VR was like the, uh, like the, the biggest thing that was going on. This was 2005. Right. And um uh, I, was, I actually met one of the early Oculus investors and he's like, yeah, if you add VR to your company name, like you can 10, 10x the valuation. 
uh, forward, fast forward to August 2018, and it's quite the opposite. It's like if you are raising for VR, like very few people are interested. And if you say you're raising for VR and hardware, suddenly <laughs> you have an empty room of people. Um, but at the same time, right? Like, like to your point. It's like, we know we have customers. We know like, we have customers that are dying for this product. Um, I'm like shamefully like unable to keep up with the emails. Um, just asking like, hey, you know, um, we want to use this product for like this, this, uh, this technology or this approach. And uh, can we have a prototype like tomorrow? It's like, I'd love to be able to give to you uh, a prototype. But I just, we had people showing up at our office in San Francisco. It's like, hey, can we have a prototype? I'm like, uh... Uh, I can show you one, but no, we don't have them to sell yet. Uh, but we can put you in the wait list and stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. The One technical question before I ask a follow-up. The Previously, you said that the person would have to, was being silly to let that happen. The person pulling the money or the people, like the Piper no, the, people? Uh, the, the CEO of Piper, uh, sorry, I forget his name. Um, Richard? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. He's just like, it's like maybe maybe because I have by the time I saw it, I had some idea of like uh, fundraising and um, and like seeing where he's going with it and uh, and like the board seats he gave away uh, that early on, and it's just like like uh, it's like just shaking my head. No, like that's no, that's not. You don't want to keep doing that. Um, but um, at the same time, like no, I've I'm I'm very. Uh, fortunate to have a really good community around me of founders, um, um, my mentors that have been helping me a lot. And maybe that's why I, I find a lot of the stuff he was doing like stupid. <laughs> but mm-hmm. then um, it's important that I think anybody, I, I, I think it'd be, you'd be crazy to going into this and not having others who are more experienced than you that will help you not repeat the mistakes the chances are they made or they know of others who made. And for me, it's like, I, I, I would like, I speak to other founders uh, all the time every week. Mm. Well, the, I was reading this article that controlling the board size, your board size is really interesting. Like the size of it kind of denotes like their power. So like a lot of them, so basically if you just want like a board that doesn't really do anything, you have like eight or more. Cause then like they can't ever coalition against you. But like when it's like five or under, you want them all like, that's when they like, they will be a little bit more hands-on, but Board management's like one of those things that there's no book about it, but it's very interesting because I mean, that's what happens to Steve Jobs. Like he didn't manage his boards, they kicked him out and then they also brought him back. But yeah, exactly. But then at the end of the day, like it's Apple is the biggest company, but market market capitalization, right? So obviously something, right? Um, It's like, it's, it's, I mean, the board thing is like, it's a weird one. Like, like you want to have people who can really open up like opportunities for you. So uh, I find, so the investors, the really good investors um, they at this stage they don't even want to board seat. They're like, look, like we are at C stage, right? So it's like, look, um, work towards a series A, and then we'll think about being on the board, right? And and that's the thing is right. Like they will still be there to um, to help you if they invested because obviously it's in their interest. Um, but it's if they're on the board, then they have more of a say. They're more likely to help out um, if if there's that kind of investor who is actually interested in in helping out and trying to. Uh, to uh, put in touch with other portfolio companies that might be um, um, have some kind of partnership capacity, but it's it's yeah. And then you, on the other side, you can have investors who are basically looking for a quick um, turnaround, so they want you to get acquired as soon as possible, and they're basically telling you to you know you have to triple your tech team and reduce your run rate to like five months in hope that in those five months you get bought out. But then if you don't, then you're left with a downwards trajectory at a very fast speed mm-hmm. and obviously you crash and burn. Unfortunately, it's like, that's something that happens to quite a few startups that um, YC, uh, YC was t- talking to us about this. Uh, I think it, I mentioned to you, we went through Y Combinator and, and they were talking a lot about like, uh, you know, how you, like now that you've got your like, seed round, don't just go and, and hire out massive teams. So basically quite the opposite of what the investors before that they were telling us to do, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the large successes in the past, like 10 to 15 years, have all taken 10 years. You know, like uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX took 10 years. Uh, Jeff Bezos's Amazon took over 10 years before it reached profitability. Like most of the things that people think of as successful ventures, like Warren Buffett, no one knew about that guy for like 20 years. Like <laughs> He was very wealthy for a long time before anyone even cared about him. But 
like most things take time where I think there's like this disparity when it comes to startups where they feel like it's about speed when more of it's a marathon. And like at a certain point, it'll, it'll turn into a marathon, though there are people that I think are able to make like a quick company and get it acquired. I don't it's, normally talk to those people. <laughs> Maybe well, I should talk I mean, to I wouldn't, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad thing. Uh, no, I'm not, I definitely think it's so basically because it could be um, um, in a position where you, you know, hey, you working on this and this company is aligned with what you're doing and they offer you, hey, you're going to be the, um, like the head in, in this specific industry, right? Hell, if you're going to have a company that you have much more muscle behind you, you know, if you actually are looking to change the industry, improve the industry, move the industry forward, then why not, why not go down that route? And I've no founders uh, who went down that route. And I spoke with them and they're actually quite happy. Um, and the one that comes to mind is Ross uh, from Niantic. He's uh, head of AR there. And uh, I think they, they're working on really cool tech. And he's basically using the tech that he's built in his startup. And uh, now he's leading the whole uh, Niantic tech, tech team in that, that area, so which is amazing. Yeah. That's fair. I didn't have anything against it. I just uh, haven't had a chance to talk to people who've acquired. I sh- maybe I should ask people on the show like that. But I, my, I always think that <clears throat> when people say negative things about Tesla, I think like worst case, I feel like this is like non, like non, and then we'll get back. But the, I feel like Apple should buy them. Like they, like they, they fit within the portfolio so perfectly. Like, like, like they look like little Apple products. Like, I, I, I like as like a hey, we're burning to the ground. I feel like Apple would be there. Cause like their phones look very similar. I just feel like aesthetically they they're very similar to to each other. May- um, I I sort of see what you mean, but at the same time, like I don't think Elon Musk would like to be bought out. I just don't think of him like as the kind of founder who would like to. But I don't think that. I mean, they're obviously going through difficult. Hey, I'm in. I, I'm trying to manufacture our stuff. We know how difficult it is to make physical products, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like uh, I don't I don't think he is. I mean. I, I have a Nissan Leaf, right? I'd love to have a Tesla. I, I'm a poor founder. I can't afford it yet. Um, but uh, so I definitely see there's like a like lot of value to having what he's promising. Obviously, it will take a while to get there. And uh, I, I mean, I can, I, I can see how stressed out the guy is lately. And uh, I'm like, it's, he actually had a direct effect on me where I like, hey, I'm going to be as stressed out as him if I don't slow down a bit and actually like, mm. start to actually look at taking weekends off and actually maybe not spending all the 24 seven work, which I have been since uh, um, like 2015. I've been pretty much working on this full time, including weekends and including mm. my team and my founding team as well as doing this. There, he did a recent interview where like people asked how he was doing because he just spent like 140 hours a week in the Tesla factories or something yeah. like that. And he said like it hurt him. And it was so sad. I was like, no, you got to keep the rockets going, man. <laughs> Relax. Like maybe maybe like the argument would be like he sells off Tesla so he can focus more on other things. Like, I don't know. He, he's been pretty stressed out. I, it's all, I feel like he's been getting a lot of trouble from the Joe Rogan podcast. He'll probably never do a podcast again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I've, I said the one that he, go, uh, he, he was uh, smoking some weed or something. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, oh, yeah, I heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, probably should, I probably should listen to that because I'm curious. The entire podcast was good. And that was like two seconds of it. But I think I think it cost him like a board seat. And no, it was, I don't think it was that that, that cost him. It was the fact that, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, has, he, has, okay, he has done things which I find like very impulsive. And I'm like, hmm. You should really know better, especially that whole incident with the um, the UK diver uh, in Thailand, and like, uh, like, it's just like it's so petty. Come on, man, you've got better things to get on with. Like, it's, yeah, that. I, I, I think I think that's. I'll say last thing I'll say on this, and then I will get back to you. But the, I think it it's like it shows how stressed he is because like it's there's like there's a TV show called Billions, and the main character is a British guy, but he's a Italian American. But there was a, a guy, there was a guy on the show that was like normally very like, like you couldn't mess with him, but then someone did something and pissed him off. And then someone pointed out like, wow, something must be bothering you to like wear you down to the point where you, some pissant could like get to you to the point where you'd like I- express it. So I feel like it just shows like how much, how much is like wearing him down where he would allow like his like not to like it's his frontal cortex to like stop that like filter it out like do not do this but it, i just feel like it's a representation of how much stress he's under but back to you talking about the future 
you, you're three, three years in, you're making 2000 yourself. What comes next? What's the next like year look like for you? What's, what's 2019? Next year is going to be super exciting, I think, as we will finally start uh, shipping the, uh, um, the dev kits to our wait list. Um, and I'm like, really excited to see what people, developers are going to start doing with them. And we have an idea roughly because a lot of them have been reaching out to us like, hey, we want to use it for X, Y, and Z. And I want to start seeing, I want to like, have developers look at, hey, you can do this now. It's not sci-fi. You can actually... Um, do like interact with the environment with, with the digital environment with a computer in a way that you just couldn't do before. I think we had uh, actually Elon Musk, uh, um, and I think a company called Leap Motion, which do the sensor which tracks your fingers using um, optical uh, machine vision. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of basically there's a video of Elon Musk like, like, like uh, looking at a CAD model of a rocket and sort of interacting with it in air. And that was like what, like six years ago now. And it hasn't gone far. Like it's, it's, there's limitations with the technology because it's just using vision. So uh, I want to basically take that back out and just basically give developers a chance to like do this, uh, like, see, like play with this and just see what they can do in terms of interacting with virtual reality, augmented reality, and then even just interacting with the computer. I mean, um, we, there's a lot of stuff we're going to be doing as well. And after, after the pressure is off from the test manufacturing run, I want uh, this, the software part of uh, my team. I really want to spend some time like looking at like, key areas and uh, even stuff like uh, you had uh, the EMDR guys, um, uh, uh, Mike and Christoph, uh, um, that um, basically like the stuff we've noticed with people uh, the f- having the feel of proprioception of the virtual hand, like how could that improve like like um, stress, like PS, uh, PTSD recovery, like things like I I can think about, but I need to like spend like mm. quite a bit of time like properly looking into be able to, to figure out what what um, value that will actually bring, and that's something that will rely on others to like take and do and develop their own stuff makes sense then how can how can people get on that wait list and start waiting oh, for their it's basically uh it we have a uh, on our website it's plexus.im that's p-l-e-x-u-s dot i-m and what just put your, put your email down uh if you have something you really like interesting do shoot us an email uh <laughs> i'm gonna regret this but um basically uh, if, if you excited about this like tell us what you're doing and we'll see if we can get you something early i mean uh, we're trying to go sequentially in the the, uh, the order that the um the order people express the interest mm-hmm. um but um obviously we can try and make exceptions but um it's yeah it's hope like we are almost there we, we're hoping to start um uh, delivering by now but just manufacturing <laughs> So very soon we're gonna start start shipping mm-hmm. the uh, the gloves out. Well, that sounds good. I mean, don't be too hard on yourself. Like, when was the last time you built a startup that built a hardware product? You know, like, like it can't be perfect. Even if yeah. you did it like a bunch of times, it still won't be perfect. Yeah, I think. I, so I had actually, in, I had a, uh, I did manufacture roofing material back when I was seventeen. And uh, this was like out in Russia. Uh, and it was a very different time, very different product, very low tech. So yeah, this is very different. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. Oh, okay. Last, last tiny question is why Plexus as a name? I'm, all, I'm very curious by like how people name their, their startups. The, the Christoph and Mike had a very fun name, oh, like yeah. reason behind theirs. But I'm curious if there's any uh, fun, uh, fun logic uh, behind it. It's, it's basically, uh, if you look at, uh, as we working the prototypes if you look at the prototypes it looks like an interconnection of like networks mm-hmm. and essentially that's what Plexus is right it's just an interconnection um and uh, of like it, it looks we have like a transparent version of our product and it literally uh, you can see all the uh, uh, all the connections and stuff and that's that's what the name came out of uh, we originally it was like like our first product was called Lonning hand coming coming from the uh experiments with uh like a bunch of techies like we're not the best at naming stuff but um uh like so yeah this with the prototype which uh the number number three which is the silicon based one is mm-hmm. came out of that and um yeah 
I, mean, I guess people figure that out. Just, they start, they start cutting it up. I'm, I'm sure, like, I'm sure, like, like somebody will like do a tear down. Except you can't really tear. You can literally tear it apart, but you can't really tear it down like an enclosed silicone. Um, can you dissolve the silicone? I'm sure there's a way to dissolve it and they get to the oh, circuit. Oh, we. Uh, I'm now telling my uh, potential uh, clients how to <laughs> to uh, break down our product, but uh, don't do this at home. But uh, I think like we had some uh, was it acetone that we used instead of uh, alcohol backs once, and like it made the whole thing like really weird. Um, and it didn't quite dissolve it, but it sort of like made it really like weak, and it started flying up, like falling apart and stuff. So. Mm. but um it will definitely void the warranty that's i'm telling you for sure because it's very obvious to see. Uh, <laughs> it, will, <laughs> it will void that warranty <laughs> yeah it just does uh like an asterisk around anyone who wants to do that will void warranty <laughs> but all right then um the last question i always like i've been enjoying asking people is what what is the question that you don't have the answer to like it can be anything it could be small what's the speed limit in thailand uh, i don't it, it could literally be anything the example I give is the if the Big Bang is the reason that the universe exists, if you took the, the Big Bang away, what would be here in its stead? That bugs me. I do not have the answer. I need to talk to a physicist about this, but it doesn't have to be that big. What What's a question you do not have the answer to? Maybe someone will email you with the answer. Um, Could even be me. It's, it's, yeah, I think like the big, the big question for me is like when we will get to a holodeck and mm. how long will it take us to get there? And I think that's 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 the thing I keep uh, you often keep thinking because that's like the holy grail of what we're doing. And uh, the haptics is only one small part of it. So also you have to have vision. And like there's been some recent developments in like um, uh, projection and um, holography that might enable that. But I, I mean I'd love that. That's that's my goal. So I'm curious like what other like how long is going to take? What other technologies are going to be involved in it? And uh, that that's something I ask myself quite often. Doesn't VR kind of make like, especially with the haptics that you're developing, kind of make like a mini hollow deck? And that like, as long as you have like one of those uh, walkie things, it's not a technical yeah, term for it, but you know what I'm talking the, about. The treadmills, the uh, the omni treadmills, yeah. Yeah, and then like you're latched into it, you're kind of like you can go anywhere. It's kind of like a mini mini deck, mini yeah. mini hollow. The thing is, that's what people think. Uh, like people in new to VR, that's what they expect. And the problem is, like, by the time they put on like the headset, and by the time they, I, like, if, I don't know if you've seen people follow what these Omni treadmills, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's like the the expectation versus reality, and that's partly I think why VR isn't doing as good as it could be is because like people have the crazy expectation of of what it could be, and the reality is so much worse. And I mean, we help we're helping it to the degree that we're removing the joystick, so you can at least things and, and it gives obviously a, a, moves it much further along but like like headset like okay you can wear a glove for two hours straight you would not want to wear a headset for two hours in most, mm-hmm. in most I, I have done that again um i did feel a bit sick by the end of it um but like it's like and i know other startups are working on oculus uh, uh, oculus Vive Valve are, are working on making their um headsets better and better and, and we just take it that that chunk bit that's the interaction part and trying to make that but this and then, then there's obviously the locomotion aspect which is another another big big area which uh is the omni treadmills that's still not there i mean i've i've seen a few approaches and they're interesting but not not quite um mm-hmm. not quite there yet a question I thought of, and this is what we'll end on. But for, for I keep saying the last one, but now I'm not believable as a person. But the, when you talk about like multiple inputs for when you're like your workstation, do, would would yours ever look like Tony Stark's? Like like within the because like, like his when he does engineering, that I'm sure that's not what it looks like. But it makes me want to do it. Like that would be so cool to like look at everything and then like have like a Jarvis help you out. But then you need AI too. But like, would, would yours look cool like that, or is it just be screens? Well, we can. It, it's it's literally it's it's it becomes a software problem and mm-hmm. it, it, it's so yeah, absolutely. It's uh, uh, and it's something that we can cut up within like um, a few days and just see. Hey, try it. Work like does this work? No. Okay, try something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's yeah, that, that's something that okay, we're gonna do some of that. But I think I, I just just I think. The stuff I've seen from developers out, even like on virtual reality subreddit, that they, they're making some amazing stuff. And if you give them like the capacity to be able to interact with it in a much more like, immersive way, I think they can do much like 
crazy stuff that I haven't even thought of. And that was Eugene, co-founder and CEO of Plexus Immersive Corporation and co-founder and CEO of Digital Kinematics. I hope you really enjoyed this discussion on virtual reality, building a business, how it takes time and how like there are no overnight successes. Anyone who's sitting in a science field, like getting your graduate degree or your bachelor's degree thinking like it needs to be an overnight success. That's not the case. Like it does take time. And most of the successes we think about nowadays, Tesla, Amazon, any, anything like that, that they took about 10 years before anyone gave a crap about them. So he's, Eugene's doing really well. He's way before the 10 year mark. So I wish him luck. Anyone who liked this, send him an email or send me an email. Let us know. Give us feedback. And if you hated it or I don't know, any feedback whatsoever is really great. Remember to check us out on Patreon, the website and Twitter, learningwithlol.com and Lowell was here are the links for that. And then check the show notes for links to Eugene's stuff and also links to what I just said. So some redundancy there. Have a good day, everybody.